Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. Uh, this is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I am your host, Doris Hansen. And we're grateful that you've decided to share part of your evening with us tonight. We only have one announcement before we get started on our topic. And that is that the second annual Good News Celebration uh, is going to take place on Saturday. Uh, that would be September 14th, Saturday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And it's going to be at Payson Memorial Park. And there's going to be food and fun and music and speakers are planned and it's all free. Every bit of it is free and it's family-oriented. So for more information, you can go to the website goodnewscelebration.com. And I have been privileged to be asked to be a guest speaker um, at this celebration. I'll be talking at 2 p.m. that day. And we do hope uh, that many of our old friends will come and say hello and that maybe we can make some new friends and acquaintances. So come to Payson Memorial Park uh, September 14th, all day long from 10 a.m. until 6 p.m. You know, we always receive phone calls and mail from our viewers in response to our TV show and the various topics that we cover. And the topic that we probably have received one of the highest responses is when we discuss the biblical concept of the Trinity. Many times during the show we've received phone calls where misinformed viewers have charged us with believing in the Trinity only because the Council of Nicaea, which they claim was when the concept of the Trinity was first formed and then adopted as a Christian creed. Basically, the comments will go something like this. The concept of the Trinity was invented in the Nicene councils to preserve the idea of a monotheistic religion. It's just one of those aspects of Christian doctrine that were decided by a committee of men, not by any scripture. Well, that's not true. One email that we received after one of our shows went like this, and I quote, in studying the information regarding your belief in the Trinity, I find it interesting that you do not question how the concept came into existence. It is interesting to read that Constantine introduced and presided over the first ecumenical council at Nicaea in 325 AD. <clears throat> Constantine assured unified agreement by banishing all the bishops who would not sign the new profession of faith. Of course, the major critical decision was the adoption of the Nicene Creed as the Catholics and as you believe it to be true. Well, <clears throat> the idea that our understanding of the Trinity came from a council and not from the Bible is in gross error. And because of that error, and to inform our viewers that the Council of Nicaea is not where we have obtained our doctrine of the Trinity or of anything else, our show tonight is to discuss the Council of Nicaea, what it was, what it was not, and we'll also discuss creeds, what they are and what they are not. One remark on the internet said this, uh, said the following regarding beliefs that Joseph Smith initiated, and I quote, 
our beliefs are more in line with first century Christians compared to those of the fourth century and their Nicene Creed and Holy Trinity. Of course, this came from a Mormon perspective. Well, that isn't true. Uh, we read in the History of the Church, Volume 5, page 340, and please remember that Mormon church history is polygamist history. We go clear back to Joseph Smith, and this is what Joseph Smith said, and I quote, I did not like the old man being called up for erring in doctrine. It looks too much like the Methodist. Methodists have creeds which a man must believe or be asked out of their church. I want the liberty of thinking and believing as I please. It does not prove that a man is not a good man because he errs in doctrine. So, what about creeds? What about errors in doctrine? How important are these things? And to answer these questions, of which we have had an abundance since our first show over five years ago, we have as our guest tonight, pastor of Main Street Church in Brigham City, uh, Pastor Jim Catlin, who's been on our show several times in the past to help clear up doctrinal errors and dogma that have frequently been introduced by our viewers. So I'd like to welcome and thank you again for coming, Pastor Jim. Oh, I'm delighted. This, I, for me too, personally, this is an issue that comes up, <clears throat> it's probably in the top three, mm -hmm. I mean, over and over and over again. And so we're going to dive in, we're going to turn on the time machine, we're going to go back <laughs> 1,700 years and see what we can find out. And you know, we've had a lot of requests from, for, for this particular show we're doing yeah. tonight. We've had yeah. it from Mormons, we've had it from polygamists, and we've had it from Christians mm -hmm. that they'd like us to do the show. So let's get, let's get I've moving. never been so excited to read history in my life. <laughs> I hated history in school, but we'll do yeah, it tonight. Yeah, we'll yeah. do good, good history tonight. So, uh, so why here in 2013 right. are we spending time on a religious conference that took place in 325 A.D.? Yeah, and when you stand back, it sounds kind of crazy. We're talking 325 A.D. That's mm -hmm. a long, long time ago. And yet, what, what you hear and what I hear is constantly the same word, which is that conference 1,700 years ago is continuing to further the apostasy of Christians worldwide. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's what they say. That's what they say, but yeah. they, they really haven't studied it themselves. They're, they're <clears throat> getting it from somewhere else. So yeah. what did they do to bring more apostasy to the people of 325 AD? Well, which is what they claim. I'll tell you what I hear, and, and you've already put some of the stuff that you've gotten emails on. What I hear is something like this. So viewers, if this is if this is a twist of what you're thinking, you can correct us. But this is just what I've heard many times. It goes something like this. Constantine, who suddenly is the first Caesar who's going to be compassionate, no, not compassionate, tolerant of the Christian faith, decides to take the power of Rome and to go in, call together the most powerful leaders in the Christian church of the day in 325, call them together, then coerce them to come up with a piece of doctrine that, that uh, they can take, he doesn't care where it comes from, he can take that and with the power of Rome basically impose that on all believers worldwide and Constantine's going to make it happen and if, he, and if you don't count out of what Constantine has forced to happen in this conference, then you're banished and that's just the way it is. And, and they did that by creating a thing called a creed. Uh-huh, yeah. okay. So, so uh, the creed um, supposedly had an evil influence um, Still today, to seventeen hundred years to this after very day, it I mean, seventeen hundred years later, this creed somehow, at least in the followers of Joseph Smith, this creed is still having an evil influence. And so, let me just say really quickly what a creed is. I mean, a creed. 
The word creed, it's easy. The word creed is Latin. It comes from credo, and credo in Latin means belief. So a creed is just a very simple statement of beliefs. Uh -huh. And it's usually shrunk down into a real handy, portable form. It's usually a small list. Uh, in fact, a very famous creed that a lot of people know uh, in Islam. Islam uh, has the Shahada, and the Ashahada says in their creed, it says basically, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is the messenger of God. And that's a that's creed. a creed right mm -hmm. there. It says it says basically the most important parts of a belief system as simply and as compact as possible. And so the idea is that somehow the creed that came out of Nicaea, this compacted version of Christian beliefs, is terribly twisted and still messing up people to this very day. In fact, just just to show you, it started from Joseph Smith, and we have a quote from Joseph Smith right here, very famous. It's from Joseph Smith History. And he says this, a lot of people are familiar with this, I was answered that I must join none of them, speaking of the other churches, for they were all wrong. And the personage who addressed me said that all their creeds, see there's the word, all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, that those professors were all corrupt, that they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and that they teach for doctrines the commandments of men, having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. So starting right here with Joseph Smith's declaration that creeds are bad. In fact, mm -hmm. they're, they're worse than bad. According to the personage, they're an abomination. Well, and he said all their creeds, which all is inclusive, creeds. totally inclusive. That is nothing, nothing that we would believe that is correct. Exactly. And so uh, because of our conversations with followers of Joseph Smith, the creed that comes up every single time is the Nicene Creed. It's mm -hmm. the one, it's, it's the, the first one. creed of the church, in fact. And there's other, there's other creeds that came after it that were nice, kind of compact ways of talking about doctrine. But the Nicene Creed, boy, it gets... That's the one that gets that's hit. That's the one that gets hit over that's and over right. and over again. And, and in fact, the first time I heard this in a conversation, I was shocked because uh, I, had, I had never, in my entire Christian life, I had never heard of the Nicene Creed. I'd never heard it recited in any of the churches, and I've been to a lot of different churches over the year, Baptist mm -hmm. and Congregational and Methodist and Presbyterian, I mean, a lot of different churches. I'd never heard the Nicene Creed. So when someone came to me and said, that Nicene Creed, it's gotcha. It, you're duped by the Nicene Creed. I said, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> so I, I was really shocked. I was, and to this very day, it still comes up over and over. And, so, and, and, and like yeah. you say, it's a, an abomination, which is a very harsh word for believing what yeah. we're going to yeah. discover is, is pure uh, biblical doctrine. And my experience, too, is the same. I've gone to several different churches in, in just like you, not even in the state of Utah, out of the state of Utah as well. And they just don't deal with the yeah. Nicene Creed when they teach we and preach. We do a pretty large sampling at churches and yeah. it's not on anybody's radar it so the fact there. that it comes up when followers of Joseph Smith basically requote this you know Joseph Smith history to us so, so probably none of the Christian churches that routinely use it. Yeah, there might be some that refer to it once in a while. Well, it's referred to a little bit. And in fact, if you go to the Eastern tradition of churches, like Eastern Orthodox, it's still more a part of the liturgy of what they do. But, um, but by and large, it's, it's, I mean, you look across, uh, especially evangelical churches, but mainstream Protestant churches, it's, it's virtually non-existent. It's and, just and not there. And why don't they use it? Well... It, it, I'll tell you why it started to be used, and you can understand it. It started to be used because in early Christian church, there were a lot of believers who were just illiterate. And uh, so even if they had a copy of a Bible in their hands, which again, they didn't have that either, they couldn't read it. So 
Uh, so the learned people who were believers and followers of Jesus, they could, they could read pieces of scripture and they could say, we need to somehow put together uh, a very handy, portable, memorable, memorable way of stating what the, what the truth is that we read when we read the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so it, was largely, it was largely for the benefit of the illiterate believers. It was mm -hmm. a good way to say, you know, what do you believe? This is what I believe. And so, um, so it worked really well for that. But I think today, since most Christians can read. <laughs> and most of them have at least one Bible And most Bible of them have home. one Bible. The, the need kind of, uh, kind of went out. There's really no need for that. And so a lot of people misunderstand. They say, well, you've got a creed, say the Nicene Creed, and you've got the Bible. Um, if you as a Christian were going to determine where you get your truth from, which one's more authoritative, which do you go to? Do you go to the creed or do you go to the Bible? And most Christians will say, well, I don't even know of any creed. We go to the Bible. Mm -hmm. So the creed's kind of became sort of obsolete for their original purpose in terms of communicating truth when we can read the Bible. Mm -hmm. So that's why they're and, just not and used so much. they became obsolete because people can now read and study these things out for themselves. So exactly. today, instead of reciting creeds, Christians rely upon reading their Bibles to understand the truth. But right. do the Mormons and the fundamentalist leaders today still insist, it seems like they do still insist that they the Nicene do. Creed mm. is still misleading. Or Christians. we wouldn't keep getting these emails. That's right. <laughs> and, and, this, and some of them are pretty ornery. <laughs> yeah, and this is uh, this. Is, I, I got to tell you this. I've been I've been berated several times in my conversations uh, with with people who follow the teaching of Joseph. I've been berated several times because they say, "Well, you don't fully understand what we mean," or "You're telling me what I believe, and that's not true because I don't believe that." Well, this is where the tables are turned because. I could say back to you right now, wait a second, you don't understand. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't understand the role of creeds in our lives. We don't use them at all. Yeah. So the tables are kind of turned here. But yeah, they continue to press it, I think because it came out of Joseph Smith's testimony. And I came across a, a few relatively recent statements of the mainstream LDS church. I don't know if this is representative of the other uh, sects of the fundamentalists, but let me, let me just throw a few up here. There's, here's one that was in uh, 2007. And uh, this is from uh, Elder... Russell Ballard, in fact, this is in Deseret News is what it was. And so he said, uh, talking about the conflicts with evangelical Christians, says they are the evangelical Christians. They're locked into the Nicene Creed. See that? Mm -hmm. Locked yeah. into the Nicene Creed. <clears throat> but we're locked into the restoration and the experiences of Joseph Smith, said Elder M. Russell Ballard, a senior leader of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, and, and that will undoubtedly be an issue until God himself comes back. And that was, that's what he responded to uh, evangelical criticism in the Deseret News. We're locked into the Nicene Creed. That's what he wow. says. And here's another one. Really, uh, oh, uh, let me just do one okay, more. Yeah, this, go ahead. It's almost uh, more amazing. This yeah. is uh, in, in 2006 from uh, President Gordon B. Hinckley. He said, uh, he said, our Catholic friends, our Protestant friends, give us the definition of deity in the Nicene Creed. But that's just a creed that mm -hmm. came of the discussions of men. The marvelous thing is that the boy, Joseph, was able to testify of the real nature of God, the Eternal Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, so he's misleading the people by that statement. Very, well, very yeah, highly. Because, because if you look behind the scenes in Christendom, you know, we don't formulate our opinion of who God is by a creed anymore. It's absolutely... And, you know, with the polygamy groups, I know from the group, the Kingston group that I was raised in, every year... 
uh, on New Year's Day or near and about New Year's Day. They, yeah. ha they have a day-long meeting, all day long. Everybody's required to come. Yeah. And they reestablish or they, they bring about uniformity and conformity with their beliefs so that yeah. everybody is always on the same page. Right. Now, yeah. the other polygamy groups, whether they do it that way or another way, they still do that. They still hold their yeah. meetings. They still reestablish the conformity of their creeds, which is their belief. The core the, beliefs. The yeah. Mormons do it twice a year. They bring in their That's conferences true. twice a yeah. year and do that, and they're complaining about the Nicene Creed. Yeah, right. I know, I know. It doesn't make any sense. Well, well in a real sense, I'll, I'll say this: I'll defend creeds for about two seconds here. Okay. <laughs> they are tidy <laughs> restatement summaries of what you believe. If someone were to ask me on the street corner, "What do you believe?" I'll give them like a five or six or seven point list as quickly as possible. That's a creed to mm -hmm. the degree to which, to the degree to which I believe in what it says and, and say I composed it. But when someone imposes a creed mm -hmm. that you can't test for yourself, uh, then you're in then that's you're in different. danger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, then you're that's, in danger. That's different. Okay, so so let's get back to Nicaea, and maybe we'll have time at the end of the the show to discuss more creeds. I've got some from some of the various polygamy groups too. Uh, so the ancient meeting. Let's look right. at it more closely. What do the historians say about this? Well, yeah, let's. This is where we go in our time machine. <laughs> <laughs> so let's take a look really quick. The Nicene uh, Nicene Creed comes out of the Nicaea Council. Let me let me put up a timeline real quick, and this will help you figure out the context of it in history because it's really important in terms of what happened with the followers of Jesus. If you, if you go all the way back to 64 AD, uh, 64 AD was a very famous time when, when Rome burned and Nero, who was the Caesar at the time, guess who he blamed? The Christians. And so uh, he started some very systematic persecution of Christians in 64. By 70, uh, Nero's gone by then, but by 70, uh, conflicts in Jerusalem get so bad that Rome comes in destroys Jerusalem, and as a result of that, the Jews in Jerusalem are scattered worldwide. And remember, Christians at 70 AD are Jews. I mean, mm -hmm. that's the way it started. It was a sect of Judaism. Mm -hmm. So at that point in 70 AD, an amazing thing happens. Uh, almost all of the followers of Jesus that were clumped into Israel get basically scattered all over the world. They're just dispersed everywhere. They're just pfft, like, like blowing seeds into the wind. Mm -hmm. So they're, they are all over the world. So when you get to 70, 80, 90 AD, the Christians, if you're going to find them, you couldn't go to one place. They were all, all over mm -hmm. the world. Okay. So that's where we are in 70 AD. Now, after that in 70 AD, because of the persecution that Nero started in 64, the persecution keeps going. I mean, the, the culture continues to blame Christians for things that are wrong. And that persecution goes on for 250 years. Wow. 250 years, Christianity is an underground, secret kind of religion because if it ever comes above ground, um, people have the permission to legally kill them. And these killings peak somewhere around 303 to 305 AD under the Emperor Diocletian. Now Diocletian uh, realized that there was some, some friction going on in the empire, religious <laughs> friction, uh -huh. uh, and it's actually religious friction among Christians, some debate about some topics. And, and uh, so Diocletian figures the best way to bring rest to the Roman Empire is kill all the Christians. <laughs> Because <laughs> after all, they're the ones that are arguing all they're the time. The so Diocletian, three or three, three or four, three or five, somewhere through that. Boy, he goes through and, and systematically, anytime anyone's arguing on the street about a piece of Christian doctrine, whoosh, they're dead. Whoa. So, so we have 250 years of all this going on, and then an amazing thing happens. Diocletian's gone, and he gets taken over as Caesar with this guy named Constantine, who's always painted as the bad guy yeah, in the Nicene yeah, story. Yeah, he is. Well, Constantine comes in. And he becomes co-emperor is what happens 
um, and uh, with another guy by the name of Licinius, but he becomes co-emperor in about 312, and he decides it's cheaper and easier, instead of killing all the Christians to stop this friction, let's see if we can just get them to talk together. <laughs> Which is, which is a wonderful idea. So, uh, so in 313, a year after that, this Edict of Milan comes out and the killings of the Christians stop. And in fact, all religions that are peaceful across the Roman Empire are allowed for the first time. There's a lot of others that were kind of under the covers because they were in conflict with the Roman religion. But, but Constantine says, no, let's let them all live above ground and let's settle this conflict that's been going on for about 20 or 30 years and bring peace back to the empire and let all these religious guys basically just calm down. So 313, it becomes legal to be a Christian in public. In 324, he becomes the solitary uh, uh, Caesar. Licinius is gone at that point. And then one year later, Constantine says, now we can do this. Let's get all the Christians in the entire world, the leadership, bring them together in one place for the very first time in all of Christian history. Let's get them together in one place. I'll pay their airfare. Well, <laughs> their, their donkey fare. Their I'll donkey. pay their donkey. I'll get their them camels. there. We'll get them there. I'll provide the hall for them. I'll provide some food for them. And, and I'll just allow them to get together for the first time and to really hack this out. And his desire really was a social desire to make sure that after the conference was all over, there would finally be peace in Rome in terms of religious issues. Mm -hmm. And that's, that was really his only, his only issue. It wasn't to impose any kind of doctrine. He just wanted to be some rest in, in terms of this religious unrest that was going on. So they have the Council of Nicaea. The creed happens after that we were talking about. And I'll just add two more things on the list here before we come back to Nicaea. Constantine finally is baptized into the Christian church in 337, uh, almost the same year he dies. Oh. So Constantine is not a Christian believer at the Council of Nicaea, mm. so he's got no Christian axe to grind mm -hmm. in 325. Okay. And then what people don't realize either is that Christianity did not become the state religion of Rome at the Council of Nicaea, but it did later, somewhere in the reign of Theodosius, who was a Caesar later, somewhere mm -hmm. before about 380, 390 AD. So, so at the time of the Council of Nicaea, you've got Constantine, who's just trying to bring rest, trying to figure out how to fix this little problem, and you've got Constantine, who's not a Christian, and you've got Christianity that's not a state religion. They're just going to yeah. tolerate it. Yeah. So that's the context of where we get to in, in Nicaea. So there was some unrest that was going on that Constantine hoped that this meeting would solve. What, what caused this unrest? Exactly. Or well, <laughs> it was all around who is Jesus. Who is, I mean, how divine is Jesus? I mean, is he God? Is he not God? And around the time that Constantine came into power, one guy, this one guy named Arius, was very vocal. And he was starting to pick up some steam about his ideas about who Jesus was. And it turned out that the distributed Christian communities that had been spread all over around the Mediterranean independently saw what Arius was teaching and said, you know, that's, that's not in the Bible. And it, but it was a popular notion. It was causing lots of stress. And so that's what the debate was about. Arius was saying Jesus was something less than God. Mm -hmm. And the other Christians were saying, wait, we have pieces of the Bible from our perspective. It doesn't say that. So that was the conflict. That was, that that. was almost, that was like 98% of the reason why they had this conference was to, was to kind of duke out. So who is Jesus? Yeah. And let's confront Arius and let's see where it all lands. And that's an important issue too. And you know what? The Bible does tell us to watch out for heretics and for heresies that, right. that they'll bring in to the church. So the council was actually doing what God had told him to do by Good getting thing. it together and, and yeah. root it out. And now finally they can do it in public because they're not all going to get killed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like a great deal. You know, who would, and he's going to pay our donkey fare. So that's great. Yeah. <laughs>
So how did uh, did Constantine hope that they'd settle the matter? Um, wouldn't their the leaders yeah. just keep on arguing? Exactly. How do you know <laughs> that they're not just going to get in this big room and they're all just going to, you know, you're going to close the doors and three days later they're all going to be dead because they've killed each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, this is what's amazing, and almost nobody realizes this, is that Constantine did not go in and say, this is what you're going to believe. You guys endorse this and take this back home. If you don't, we're going to banish you or something like that. He yeah. didn't do that. Instead, an amazing thing happens, and we get this from several historical sources. When they came into the room the very first day, uh, you, know, you know, how you march into a room in succession is a big deal. There's about 230, 40, 250 people at this thing, mm -hmm. all leaders of their various little places around the world. They're all dressed up. There's this big room. There's seats for everybody. And now they march into a room. Who always marches in the front of a procession or something like this? Well, the king does. Mm -hmm, yeah. Caesar does. Constantine goes to the back of the line. And he says, you guys go in first. You'll all go in there and sit around the edges. You know, I mean, I mean, actually in a large circle in a sense. You go in there. I'll be at the end of the line. They all march in. He comes at the end of the line. He goes into the middle of the room. And he basically sets the ground rules. And the ground rules he sets is astonishing. And this is what he said. Let me put up this really ugly bust of Constantine. There he is. He said, and this is what he said to everybody before they started their discussions. He said, let then all contentious disputation be discarded. And let us seek in the divinely inspired word mm. the solution of wow. the questions at issue. So the Bible was their guide. He said, use the Bible, have a good day. <laughs> and he basically, he <laughs> oh, stayed, no. he stayed so. in the discussions, but he wasn't a voting member. He just, he just watched. So they had the Bible in 325. They had the Bible in 325. And I, it's an amazing thing. Very few people... Uh, realize this, but in, in the Nicene Council, they didn't spend even a couple minutes trying to decide which parts of the Bible to use. You know, should we use Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? How about Paul, Paul's letter to the Romans? Should we? There's none of that. They didn't, they didn't talk about what books to use. They didn't talk about what books were authorized to use. In those 250 years of persecution, when they were all underground, and the Holy Spirit was basically growing the church and coordinating the church, all of these separate communities develop the same sense of which scriptures were right. Isn't that interesting? And which is largely the four gospels, which we have today, mm -hmm. all of Paul's letters, uh, a large chunk of stuff after that. If you just, if you leave out things like Revelation, uh, uh, first and second Peter, uh, James, those were still in dispute. They were valued, but they said, yeah, we're not going to put a big stamp on it. But so by the time you get to 325, without any centralized authority, without any correlation committee, Without anyone centralized forcing this, these separate communities come in and say, oh, oh yeah, we use the four Gospels. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, we use Romans and we use Mark. And, okay, so we can talk. So it was already said. Yeah. So God is able to do this, by the way. We don't have to, yeah. we don't have to come up with some man-made thing to make it happen. God it is It really is astonishing what he did in those yeah. years when it was 250 years of yeah. underground living. It's, it's, so yeah. interesting. it's so interesting. So do we know what verses that, uh, from the Bible that they used to... to counter Arius' yeah. belief. Mm -hmm. In fact, we have, a, we have a slugfest of verses that was used over those weeks. We have Arius' verses, and we have some of the ones that were used on the other side to counter Arius. And I just wanted to put these up because remember I mentioned a second ago that the danger in creeds, the danger in creeds is when someone imposes a creed on you and, and you don't know whether it's right or wrong and you can't test it. Mm -hmm. Well, here's a remarkable opportunity. Yeah. They got together they didn't, they didn't assert their authority for what was true. They said, let's let the authority of the word of the rule Bible, and, and let's see how we come out on that. And now we actually, in their notes, we can find out what verses they use to support their position. And we can pick up our Bibles and go, 
Uh-huh. It's there. Uh-huh. Yeah. I get that. So here's a few that they used. I just want to put up a small sampling. Okay. These are ones they used against Arius when he's when Arius is trying to tell everybody that Jesus was much less than divine. He was a creation. Um, and, and of course, those who countered Arius, it was one of the writers I read said it was like a tidal wave of wow. verses that came out. And they started with John 1 1. Oh, yeah. And in John 1 1, it says, you know, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. God. And very clearly in that passage, the word is Jesus. And right. so they said, what do you think about that, Arius? They went to Philippians 2.6, and uh, it, it talks about Jesus being in the form of God, in the yeah. form of God. Mm -hmm. I mean, just like whatever God is, he's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Hebrews 1.3, very powerful verse, bearing the stamp of God's nature, bearing his, his, his the imprint is actually the word that's used, of, of the very nature of mm -hmm. who God is. Uh, not just a communicator or an ambassador. He actually has, actually he's impressed God's with nature. Yeah, God's nature. 1 Corinthians 2.8, very powerful. They use this one quite a lot about the fact that Jesus is sharing in the divine glory. Well, no one shares in the Father's glory without some kind of blasphemous problem going down. Exactly. So if Jesus is sharing in the divine glory of the Father, then he must be equal with the Father or have the same glory as the uh -huh. Father. Mm -hmm. um, and then Hebrews 13.8, uh, they, they basically said, you know, Arius was saying if Jesus was created, then that means there was a time that he wasn't, and there was a time that he, that he went from being created to what he eventually became, so he was changing. Uh -huh. And could potentially have even sinned, but oh, we, he didn't probably, yeah. but, but they said yeah. he could have. Well, then they went to Hebrews 13.8 and said, you know, he's, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. forever. So he's always the same. So that's, that's just a few Those of the good. pieces. And they used, and evidently it was a tidal wave more. There was lots of notes taken. And uh, Arius was a man of the Bible too. They, uh -huh. he, both sides came in kind of, you know, with, with pieces of Bible to discuss. And it was all about Bible, 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 Bible. It wasn't, well, the Bishop of Alexandria says, or the Bishop of, you know, Aleppo says. It really yeah. wasn't all that. They would say, what do you think about this? And they would debate it at a biblical level, which, so by the way, is what we do today. the Bible that determined the creed. The Bible Which determined they the don't understand. The critics about this do not understand. No. It was the Bible that determined the And even creed. see, even some of those quotes we had from Hinckley and them says that, that men basically came up with the creed. Yeah. Well, they might have penned it, but they were allowing the Bible. the Bible itself it to the sculpt authority. it. That's yeah. what they did. So what was the final verdict about Arius' teaching on Jesus? Well, Arius lost. <laughs> of course, uh, the Bible. <laughs> he, he came in with a small contingent. I can't remember off the top of my head. There was a, there was about 250 representatives at the at the council about 250. The, actually, the tradition in the Eastern Orthodox is 318. You'll see the word three, the number 318 all over Eastern Orthodox because mm. it was the great 318. But I, I think it's more like 230, 40, 50. Anyway, they all voted at the end. It wasn't one guy who stood up and said, I put this debate to rest. I think this is, they all voted. Yeah. And when the vote came out, uh, there was only two other guys that sided with Arius out of 250. Wow. So, he kind of wow. went down in flames. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. And they again. And and this, as I was preparing for this, I thought of First Corinthians eleven nineteen. I wondered if this yeah. apply. This verse applies to what we're talking about, where it says, "No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval." Yeah. And so they were doing uh, the differences and the discussing these differences and coming up with yeah. with uh, the using the Bible as the measure. Using the Bible. And they yeah. come up with the truth of of these things and showing God's yeah. approval. Yeah, and, so and the contrast, happened. the contrast between Arius' view and the other folks' view, that contrast, as Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians, has been really instructive for us. Yes. Because 
because it really isn't, it, I won't say it's easy to understand the divinity of Jesus. I think it's actually pretty simple, but people have been, have been bringing up Arius' arguments ever since, mm -hmm. over and over yeah. and over. In fact, the next Caesar after Constantine, uh, Constantius, uh, he was pushing Arius' stuff. Mm. So it's like, so yeah. it continued to be a problem for quite some, and it continues to be a problem today because today, yeah. so. uh, Clue Yin, the, uh, the doctrine of the mainstream LDS church in terms of the nature of Jesus is very close to what Arius was pushing. Wow. And you know, when I, I was raised in the, in the polygamy group, and when I became a Christian, did my own studies, I was so shocked to find out mm. the Bible teaches Jesus is God. It I just know. shocked me. I know. I had never been taught that. So it's the entire Mormon culture. Yeah, and it flows, it flows downhill from Joseph Smith mm -hmm. and, and his definition of who Jesus was. And here, see, here we start bumping up against the problem with the creed. It's a, it's a simple statement of a belief that gets pushed on you and you never bother to check it. Yeah. I mean, whether you're illiterate or don't have a Bible is one issue, but if you never bother to check it, that very simple restated over and over piece of truth, that little belief, which is now a creed, mm -hmm. will hurt you and can take you off into wherever land. We need to do exactly what they did at Nicaea and open right. our Bibles and right. check it. And check it. Yeah. So is this when the, the word Trinity was first coined? No, huge myth. <laughs> In fact, uh, read the Nicene Creed. The word Trinity is not there. And in, and in fact, the word Trinity was in circulation at the time. Um, you, you, I, you don't really find it in hardly any of the discussions. I think it came up in Nicaea in terms of some of the notes. But the interesting thing is when you go back in history, there was a guy, Tertullian, uh, a Christian uh, historian, who was using it 150 years before Nicaea. Wow. So Nicaea didn't come up with this nasty Trinity idea and then impose it on everybody. The concept and even the word had been in common usage for 150 years, it, with the church underground, separated geographically and independent. So it had been floating for quite a long time. But I don't know how they, I don't know how the guys at Nicaea resisted putting the word Trinity in there. Uh -huh. but, but they wanted to be more clear, even in this brief statement. They didn't want to be misunderstood, uh -huh. I suspect, with using the word like Trinity. They wanted to just yeah. say what that means. And so the concept of Trinity, yeah, that's in the Nicene that's Creed, there. but the word's not. The word's not. Yeah. So let's, let's tell our viewers or show our viewers on the screen what the Creed actually said so that they can see that it's not really this great big ugly, hideous, hideous demonic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. Again, it's just kind of a funny, <laughs> strange thing when, I've, when people have hit me up about the fact that I'm being controlled by the Nicene Creed. I say, have you ever read the Nicene yeah, Creed? Yeah, yeah. Well, no. Okay, so here's our big chance. We're going to read the Nicene Creed. Are you ready? This mm -hmm. is going to be an eye-opener for everybody. Here it is. This is what was penned in 325 with the agreement of almost 250 people in the room. It says, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is, of the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance, and I left in the Hebrew word there, which was actually a center point of the discussions, uh, homoousius, uh, one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made both in heaven and on earth, and who for us men and for our salvation came down, there's the incarnation, mm -hmm. and was incarnate and made man. He suffered, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, and from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, and in the Holy Ghost, the end. That's the Nicene Creed. And so, there's so nothing evil about that at all, is there? There's nothing evil in that at all. 
unless you want to make Jesus something less than God. Yeah, and so many people. And that was do. the topic of discussion during that day. And that's mm -hmm. what that's why they say you have to go back and look at the the language. Why did they say? Uh, God of God, very God of very God, light of light. Mm -hmm. And so they're trying mm -hmm. to make the point that Jesus and God, in the same way you can call the Father God, you can call Jesus God. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so. the Holy Spirit too. Well, we're past our, our yeah, break for the half, noticed, yeah. the half hour, but we do invite you to call and give us your questions or comments if you would like to take part in our conversation. And we're going to open up our telephone lines right now so you can call in. And we also have the message that we want to share with you. So give us a call. Our number is 801-973-8820-973-TV20. And we'll be back in a couple of minutes. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at We want you to know that we have made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. There you will find the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to our show, Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen. We've been talking with Pastor Jim Catlin uh, pastor of the Main Street Church of Brigham City about the Nicene Creed, how the word Trinity came about, and what exactly the creed was of Nicaea, and and uh, some of the uh, wrong information that has been going around for years, for decades, for hundreds of years, hundreds. about the Nicene yeah. Creed. Yeah. Um, and so we we want to invite you to join the conversation if you'd like to call in, and ask questions, or uh, make some comments. But I also would like to talk about some of the creeds of the fundamentalists of the yeah. culture that we have around us because everybody has creeds. 
If you simplify your beliefs, you've got a creed. You've got a creed. Yeah. And so I thought that I would talk, first of all, starting with Joseph Smith, because he's the one that said our creeds were an abomination. This is something that Joseph Smith said, and I quote, God himself was once as we are now, and is an exalted man, and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. That is the great secret. It is the first principle of the gospel to know for a certainty the character of God, and to know that he was once a man like us." End quote. Now that's a creed. He, he said it was the first principle of the gospel. It's important, therefore it's a creed. Does it line up with the Bible? Did he use the Bible That's to make the to creed? Right, right, exactly. And I think creed did. They lined it up with Bible. What they come up with, Joseph Smith didn't because uh, that is not a biblical creed. A creed from the AUB, which is the All Red Polygamy Group. And this is what they say, quote, It's better to have 10% of a good man than 100% of a not so good man. Ooh. Now that's a creed that the polygamous group, the All Red Polygamy Group, they quote it, they believe it, they defend their polygamous lifestyle with that saying, mm. so that's a creed. Mm. I would like to uh, quote a creed from the Kingston Polygamy Group, and I quote, It is my firm resolve and fixed purpose to give my all to the Lord, my time, my talents, all that I am or ever expect to be, to the establishment of Zion and the building up of the kingdom of God upon the earth. End quote. Now that's something that every child, they call them memory gems, that every child growing up in the Kingston Polygamy Group is supposed to remember and memorize. But does it match up with the Bible? Well, Zion isn't here. Zion is not a polygamy group. The kingdom of God, uh, Jesus said his kingdom is not of this earth, so it doesn't match up with the Bible. Therefore, it's an abomination, like Joseph Smith said. So, did, so did you recite that as a kid? That one? Mm, well, I didn't. No, I didn't. Okay. Mm -mm. Okay. Well, I was a little rebellious too. Okay. But <laughs> you did. You forgot anyway. Creed from yeah, Creed from the FLDS polygamy group. I chose a very short one for them because it says so very much in two little words. And their creed, one of their creeds, is keep sweet. Hmm. And and you know hmm. you talk you say that to somebody from the FLDS and they'll just cringe if they've left the group. They'll just cringe over that two those two words keep sweet. In other words, don't crumble under the pressure and pain of polygamy. Of course, that's mostly with uh, uh, talking to the females. The creed from the Harmston polygamy group, which is on their website of September 2010. Uh, you might even call it their Ten Commandments. And this is their creed: Don't eat meat. Don't wear makeup, don't dye your hair, don't wear clothes with unnatural patterns, hmm. no sugar, no honey, no video games, don't push up your garment sleeves, don't pray for a witness before doing what you're told, that's a lack of faith. Most hmm. of all, pay your money, tithing, assessment, and then some. That's their creed. They believed it, they lived it, they believed it and lived it as long as if it's still there, they're still doing it, I guess. Hmm. And you know what? There's a creed from the LDS Church as well, and that is their Articles of Faith. Their Articles of Faith, yeah. In fact, I've got a picture right here. You can buy a, a picture of the Articles of Faith and hang it on your wall, and it, it actually looks like a creed when you hang it on the wall. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> but it, that's exactly what that is. It's, uh, again, a creed is just a simplified list of your beliefs, mm -hmm. and you put the most critical, the most powerful, the most important ones on that list. And I, and I dare say, if you violate any one of those, then the community that holds to that creed can say, well, you're not part of our community. Mm -hmm. So, which mm -hmm. is why many times when, when Christians 
uh, hear followers of Joseph Smith say, well, we're really Christians, they think back to a, a short and simple list and say, well, do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe the Bible? And then go down the list. And, and if you don't, then you say, well, then you're not part of that group if then you don't part of that believe group. those, because exactly. those are essentials. Exactly. And, and, uh -huh. and everyone has that list of essentials. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay, well, we've got some phone calls. Let's see if we can take some right now. Uh, on line one, we have calling Trent from Bountiful. Hello, Trent. Yes, ma'am. You're on the air. What's your question? Uh, it's not really a question. I just wanted to share something with you, if possible. Okay. I think I spoke to you possibly about two weeks ago. I'm from San Antonio. Um, I'm in Utah, and of course, my whole neighborhood, of course, is Mormon, correct? And I did grow up Mormon, and I just have not been active for about 25 years. Um, during the state conference that was uh, through June 8th and 9th of 2013, our ward gave me a, um, a piece of paper. It's a brochure. And it says um, for me to join June 8th, uh, June 8th through 9th, 2013, um, and that we will all enjoy a spiritual feast as we are instructed. It also says to pay particular attention to shut-ins, new members, investigators, and those who have recently recommitted themselves to activity. So upon reading this, I found it kind of odd. It kind of started to sound like Scientology. To sense. When I got down the back page, it's 13 pages long, there is some stuff in there, and it's from the high priest of the Mormon church. And it says, uh, Henry Earing, the scientist and father of President Monson's counselor, um, he goes on to talk, and he says, if we could just get rid of the people, everything would be perfect. And what he's saying is the, the non-believers, if, if they could just get rid of them, um, their church would be perfect. And it's just kind of strange to me because growing up um, in Utah, I'm starting to realize that um, people are very mean and crude. And uh, I just noticed that in, in Texas and uh, Colorado, people are very nice. You know, the barbecue, come over and have, have a hamburger. And they're, they're very um, unfriendly if you're not in the same church or you don't go to church. You're just kind of shut out. And this paperwork kind of goes to prove that... Um, Everything that you're saying and what we're watching is just completely true to let you know. Okay, well, we appreciate your call. Do you have anything you want to say? I just have to put in a good uh, word. I, I've met a nice Mormon in Utah. Oh, I have too. Okay, so uh, we'll just uh, several put of that them. in. Well, 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 and, well, oh, yes. And uh, yes, I have. I've got yeah. several nice. Okay. And you know, um, what I'm saying is that when it comes down to, um, you know, um, really being the outgoing neighbor, I, it's just is not the, the mm. same as what I'm used to for you know, time. It so. is a little different outside of the state. There's no doubt about that. Thank you for your call. Uh, and you know, okay, thank you. Wherever you go, you're, you're going to find nice people and not so nice people. So, but we do understand what you're saying, Trent. Yeah, yeah. Okay, line two, we have Don calling from Sandy. Hello, Don. Yeah, how are you doing? Yes, good, thank you. You're on the air. Good. Yeah, well, I'd like to ask your uh, guest there, how does he explain certain books uh, that were not included in the Bible? like uh, the book of Judas and I believe the book of Mary. The book of, yeah. Do you know something that validates them to you? No, I don't. I was just wondering how they, how they picked and choose which ones got in and which ones were excluded. Yeah, it's a, it was a very informal process. Like I said, when they got to, when they got to Nicaea, uh, there was, they never had to actually debate about which books to use because the different communities had independently over time seen value in certain books and said 
these talk about Jesus and these have value. And in the multiple communities that came together, it was the kind of a consensus thought that, yep, those are, those are winners. Now, to be fair, there were a number of books that circulated for a while, like uh, The Shepherd of Hermes and The Gospel of Barnabas, stuff like that. And, and not all the communities uh, endorsed those. Uh, that is, they didn't use them in their regular teachings. They said it had some value, but there was something, again, about the intrinsic content. They said, you know, we're really not too sure. And then when the communities would, would compare notes with one another, they'd all find that a lot of those particular books w were in the same kind of reputation. In the end, uh, what they were doing is they were actually discovering from the internal uh, evidence of the book, whether it was from God, and the fact that the, that the larger Christian community seemed to be saying the same thing. There was no single uh, person from the top who pointed and say, those are in and those are out. Right, so but just that, God, God himself did that. Exactly, somehow the Holy Spirit endorsed those books and independently they discovered everyone was reading the same stuff. And, and another mention I'd like to make is the Bible explains itself, it interprets itself. And if one book is in, in uh, disagreement with the rest of the Bible, it doesn't belong there. Um, so if, if any of these books you're talking about, and there's other books too that people say should be in the Bible and aren't, it's because they disagree somewhere with the Bible as a unity yeah. And, yeah, and it happens. will not contradict itself. Yeah, I had a guy give me a free copy of the Gospel of Thomas. And I, and I said, well, I've never read the Gospel of Thomas. So I read it and it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, I'm just telling you, I, I, when people tell me, why do you reject the Gospel of Thomas? I say, you've never read it, have you? <laughs> so, so read it and see what it says. I'm not telling anybody not to read these things. In fact, the Shepherd of Hermes is a really, it's an interesting, it's an interesting write. Whether it's something that ought to be authoritative scripture, I, I agree with these guys way back then. I'm really not too sure. But again, it's based on me comparing it to the other content that I know is sure and, mm -hmm. and has good credentials. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So. Okay, we have uh, on line three, Robert from Provo. Hello, Robert. Yes. Yes, you're on the air, Robert. Hey. Hi. Hello. Hi. <laughs> I'm a, a Baptist, but I was a Lutheran. And uh, first off, I'm kind of interested in what church uh, are you with, Pastor? I mean, what, what flavor, you might say. What flavor am I? Uh, yeah. We are denomination, I guess. Yeah, we are a non-denominational, Bible-based, evangelical church. It's about as many adjectives I can throw in there. <laughs> We're not I like the non-denominational because that's their denomination. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Um, I'm calling because I was a Lutheran, and uh, what I learned was another uh, creed, too, and, and you may know what the name of it is. I've forgotten it's been so long, but... Uh, we believe in Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, right. and buried. Right. He rose on the third day from since he came to judge the uh, quick and the he dead. He ascended to heaven where he judges the quick and the dead. Right. And uh, yeah, holy. Uh, that's the that's the Apostles' Creed. And it's all again, it's all based on what the Bible teaches. Yeah. And the Bible was their guide for making that creed. That was absolutely that, yeah. That was the most popular creed. Actually, it's probably the most popular creed in Christian churches today. It got set somewhere around 600 to 700 A.D. Uh-huh. And I like the content of it, by the way. <laughs> but again, okay. I, I like the content of it because I've actually read through big chunks of the Bible and said, yeah, that's a pretty okay. accurate summary. I like that. So yeah. I'll go for that. Did you know the name of that, uh, um, uh, that creed? <laughs> I couldn't remember the name of it. Yeah, Apostles' Creed. Yeah. Apostles, exactly. Right. Okay. Right. 
Okay, well, thank you for your call, Robert. We appreciate it. And I watch you all the time, and you guys are great, and I sure appreciate you. Thank you. Appreciate you. Okay, line one, we have Christine from Midway. Hello, Christine. Yes, hi. Hello. Um, I, I have a question. Um, I was, I'm originally Lutheran, and I grew up in Minnesota, and I have, um, and we grew up with knowing the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, mm-hmm. and when I moved to Utah like four years ago, um, I had people knock on my door, and they were Mormon, and they would come to my door, and I, I know my Bible, and they would say, you know, we believe in this prophet, of Joseph Smith. Well, I've never even heard of him because I'm from Minnesota. I never really knew what a Mormon was, and they come to my door, and I would give them the Bible and say, you know, here, look at this. It says, do not believe in false prophets. <laughs> and to me, Joseph Smith is a false prophet. There is only one God. Right. You know, and I just have a hard time with it here because every time I, you know, if I go do something in the school or something to... Um, if I'm not involved with the church, it's like they don't want me to be involved with anything or scouts because my boy um, was not Mormon, and here scouts is in the Mormon church. And since I didn't go to the Mormon church, my son wasn't allowed to go to scouts because of he wasn't Mormon, and I wasn't going to take him to the Mormon church on Sunday when he goes to a different church. Okay, well, Christine, we thank you for your call. We do appreciate your comments that you've made. Um, and again, we're in this culture where they have their own creed and, and Christians have a different creed and that's the culture we're in. So we try to minister to them. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye. Okay, very quickly, Larry calling from Salt Lake City. Hello, Larry. Yeah. Yes. Got kind of an off the wall question. Who wrote the book of Enoch? Maybe it was Enoch, do you know? I don't know. Well, the reason I'm asking is <laughs> there are two Enochs in the Bible. They're right. both in Genesis. Right. One's in chapter 4, verse 17. He's uh-huh. the son of Cain. And over in chapter 5, there's another one. He's the son of Jared. Right. Right, right. Now, something I noticed was on the History Channel, they used the re- both reference statements along with them uh, referring to the same one, and I thought, well, that ain't right. Well, maybe they didn't <laughs> study their Bible, but there, there's no book of Enoch that's... Well, and, you know, I'll throw in while we're talking about it, there was a, uh, there was a rash of false gospels that was written after the first, right. second century, and the, to gain credibility on those false gospels, they'd always stick a name out of the Bible on top of it. Yeah. So you have to kind of be careful wh- whether or not that name means anything about the author. Yeah, that's probably not. I think a lot okay. of people read through it so fast they think it's the same guy, and, and it's like, could. no, there's yeah. two of them. They could. Well, thanks for your call, Larry. Okay, we're, we're t- toward the end of the show. It sounds like we just had a big rainstorm go by here. Yeah, we have a hard time <laughs> hearing. Yeah. Um, we've covered a lot of good information. Uh, yeah. Thanks for, for your input and for all yeah. of your research that you did on it. We do hope that our viewers have learned a little bit more now and can talk more more educatedly of, of the Nicaea and, and the Creed. And be careful when you bring up Nicaea, okay? And be careful yeah. when you bring up yeah. Nicaea. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Titus chapter 2 verse 1 tells us that we are to teach sound doctrine. Obviously, God is concerned about our doctrine, which is our creed, or
core system of belief. And if there's no creed, there's no foundation. And if the foundation, by the way, is not exclusively Jesus Christ, there's still no foundation. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, Jesus commended his church at Ephesus because he said that they tested those who call themselves apostles and found them to be false. Well, obviously, if it pleased God for us to test our doctrine and to test those who claim to be apostles, and so we should do it. But how do we test doctrine? How do we test apostles? Well, Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20 says that if they don't speak according to this word, they have no light in them. So just like we've been talking tonight, obviously the Bible is our guide and our only guide for truth. Christians believe in the Trinity because the Bible clearly teaches that the Father is God, that Jesus Christ is God, and that the Holy Spirit is God. And it also teaches that there's only one God. That's the Trinity. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. Or and it doesn't take a council to properly explain it to us and put it all together. It's very plain and very simple. The Bible reminds us that the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. So, in your wisdom, if you reject the biblical teaching of the Trinity, even though the word Trinity isn't there, the concept is, if you reject it, you're rejecting God's testimony about Himself. And then you're rejecting the truth. And Jesus said, if you don't believe that He is who He claimed to be, where He goes, you cannot come. So believing in Jesus means believing everything the Bible teaches about Him, nothing more and nothing less and nothing different. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.